This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Forgive me if I stumble today. My head is pounding because of allergies. I'm going to make mistakes. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn, here with Lisa Garvin, Layla Atassi, and Laura Johnston, ready for a Monday conversation. They're always good because we have a whole weekend of good stuff to talk about. Let's begin. It's the issue of the month, and reporter Laura Hancock examined it with respect to the elections. How might the Supreme Court's likely rescinding of a constitutional right to abortion play out when Ohio voters go to the polls in November? Lisa, what did Laura find? I think this leaked draft decision has drawn a bright line in the sand for the November election with Republicans on one side and Democrats on the other and the independents are going to have to choose a side, apparently. Um, Laura talked to Case Western Reserve University political science professor Karen Beckwith, and she said turnout is key for both parties in the governor and Senate races um, because there are now clear distinctions between the candidates in both races. So let's look at the governor's race first. Uh, We know that the incumbent Mike DeWine is very anti-abortion and always has been, but and he's not going to change. And also, they're not sure that he's going to get any more support beyond his current voters for his anti-abortion stance. He probably already has them in his camp. But Nan Whaley, his Democratic uh, uh, challenger, is very uh, pro-choice, and uh, she will probably use that quite a bit in the uh, ads leading up to November. I, I do wonder how much it'll make a difference, because in rural Ohio, they just don't get independent sources of information. So is is what they say going to be wholly dependent on ads that play on TV and radio stations in their area? I mean, we're having this this big debate. Everybody's talking about it. Passions are running high and there's lots of material to digest. We all read voraciously and we have a good newsroom in Cleveland. But what about the rest of the state where most of the votes come from? I, I don't know. It'll be very, very interesting to see. But this will be top of the news. And the decision is expected in June. So, I mean, we'll have a whole nother, you know, round of this coming up to November. Um, Laura also talked to Greater Columbus Right to Life Executive Director Beth Vanderkoy. And she said, and this has become a key discussion point in the wake of this leak, is that she said, we need to show that we can have a social structure to protect the health of women and children and 
after the children are born. And that's been the biggest argument against uh, the pro-life people is that they don't care about babies after they're born. But here's uh, somebody saying that we really need to change that narrative. We'll see if they can. Uh, Let's now look at the Senate race. J.D. Vance (laughs) said, this is a quote from J.D. Vance. He says, it's about, it's about whether a child should be allowed to live. We want women to have choices, but we want women and young boys in the womb to have a right to life. And I'm not sure what to think about that quote. Yeah, he's trying to play both sides, I guess. I, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, we, so little is actually known about who J.D. Vance is because he's such a chameleon. Uh, it's going to be interesting to be examining him from now until November. I do think abortion will, it, it won't just be in June. I think it will be a nonstop source of conversation and social media discussions from now all the way to November. I don't know that any other subject will consume as much attention. And and I think we need to look at a very important race here before we go, the Ohio Supreme Court chief justice race. Sharon Kennedy, uh, the, the Republican in the race, spoke at a Toledo Right to Life event back in 2017 while a case concerning a Toledo surgical abortion clinic was in their court. She did not recuse herself. The court ruled against the clinic five to two back in 2018. This was over a transfer agreement with local hospitals. So that's going to be a race to watch. Yes, it will. It's today in Ohio. Cleveland officials are trying to portray this next one as an experiment, but it sure sounds like a huge oopsie to me. What was wrong with Mayor Justin Bibbs' well-intentioned move to clear the records of 4,000 people involving minor marijuana cases? Layla, the claim that this was unsettled law and they wanted to test it sounds completely bogus. Yeah, it totally does. So, yeah, we remember how Mayor Bibb and and uh, a whole group of of city dignitaries went to Cleveland Muni Court on April 6th and they made this huge event out of their announcement that they were going to file these motions to expunge more than 4,000 minor misdemeanor marijuana convictions and charges that were filed since 2017. And they were bringing with them all these boxes of legal paperwork through, you know, the downtown courthouse and then hand delivered them to the clerk of court. Well, it turns out it's not that easy. The court's administrative judge, Michelle Early, told Courtney Astolfi last week that Ohio law doesn't allow the city to initiate the sealing or expungement process. Only individuals can do that. They can represent themselves and file the paperwork, or they can have an attorney represent them, but they have to be a party to it. The city just can't unilaterally do it for them. In the weeks after this big announcement, city officials have tried to find a solution to this problem. Early and and the city law director, Mark Griffin, asked Cuyahoga County Public Defender Cullen Sweeney whether his office, on behalf of those involved in these thousands of cases, could initiate the expungements in mass. But the Ohio Supreme Court's Board of Professional Conduct told Sweeney that doing that could really run afoul of professional conduct rules because attorneys are obligated to follow their clients' wishes. And that would be impossible to do if the clients don't even know they're being represented. So the city is going to have to try this another way. <laughs> they, they planned on Friday, and we're going to follow up to see if they've done it, to file superseding motions to vacate convictions and dismiss charges. That's So this is going about another way. Take two here. <laughs> the problem with that 
is that it doesn't really do everything that Bibb wants. Sealing a record means the public can no longer find any evidence of the case having occurred. But when you vacate a conviction, there's still some trace of it out there. It would still come up on an employer's background search. So to deal with that, then the city plans on then sending notices to the people affected to let them know that they can also seek a sealing of their arrest. The notice will then point them to the Muni Court's website, which will prominently feature this online form that would help them seal, you know, request a seal. So there's going to be a whole lot more steps than simply just rolling in all the boxes of records and, you know, dumping the requests on the on the clerk's desk and and uh you know tooting the horn and it'll cost Um, some money too right that's right there's another wrinkle here because unlike the expungement when a case is when a case is vacated the city then owes those defendants refunds on the fines and the court costs that they paid on their cases and that might sound like it would really add up for the city of cleveland given that we're talking about more than four thousand cases but as it turns out In many of these cases, defendants didn't really, they didn't pay their fines. So there really isn't that much to refund. The city is is estimating it's going to cost them about $140,000 to refund that money if they can't find the recipients, which is is likely because these go back, you know, five, six years. You know, that money will go into an unclaimed funds account until the recipients can be located. But so it got got super messy well this <laughs> I is i think they probably should have thought this out <laughs> right it's more evidence you've got a bunch of new faces at cleveland city hall you don't really have any wizened veterans to kind of say hey hold on let's think this through we can't just go in and represent people without telling them first that's kind of an automatic and they raced in they got the big publicity they're all excited for social justice and it's turned into a colossal mess. Vacating it does not do what is needed. They, they need to get these things sealed. And if they had thought about it, maybe they would have sent out 4,000 letters saying, hey, we want to end your case. We want to help you do it free of charge. Get in touch with us here. We'll take care of it. But then you don't get the big splash, right? You don't get the picture of you walking in with cartons Ex- of documents. Yeah, that's right. I mean, they could have they could have done the you know hold a series of legal clinics and and you know publicize that. But that's something that you know the you know has been done many times. Legal aid does that. The court does that. It's kind of a common thing. So it's not as it's not as exciting as as the big. Right. You know, get the get the dolly. We got all these boxes to load up. We got so many cases. You know, that's <laughs> that was and the cool way to do it. Their claim that you know it wasn't clear that you had to represent them, so we figured we test it to see. Yeah. It's like you know, if that were true, you'd have checked beforehand. You wouldn't wait until the cases are filed to get an opinion for the Supreme Court. Yeah. And really, anybody in the legal profession would have told you, you can't do this. You can't represent people without having their authorization. That seemed like such a bogus excuse for their slipshod way of doing what is a noble thing. Yeah, you know, the law director also said that Ohio law only states that the individual charged may see may seek to seal their own record, but it doesn't appear to explicitly <laughs> prohibit prosecutors from initiating yeah. the sealing of a record. And it sounds like Judge Early kind of just like rolled her eyes at that and was like, right. no, you got to do this the right it's, way. Just get out of here. <laughs> right. Because everybody knows the way it should have gone. So they'll get it fixed. I, good luck trying to reach 4,000 people. Uh, to let them know that they can get it sealed. Good stuff by Courtney Estoffi. Check it out on Cleveland.com. You're listening to Today in Ohio. 
We saw some movement in the push for fair congressional districts late last week. What was it and what was the obstructionist move made by Republican leaders in the battle over the legislative districts? Laura, the Supreme Court has to weigh in, you would think, this week to bring some right. order to this thing. You would think so, because, I mean, we've said constitutional crisis before, but I feel like it's, you know, we're teetering on this perilous edge. So let's start with the legislative districts, because as a, if you're following this, you know, there's two separate tracks for legislative and congressional. We have not yet voted on the legislative districts because that's been such a mess. And so the Supreme Court has rejected these maps four times. The latest deadline the Supreme Court gave the commission was Friday morning, and they basically blew past that on Thursday. Even with the two replacement members for uh, Cup and Huffman, they chose to thumb their nose at the Supreme Court again. And instead of approving new maps, as they were ordered, they voted to resubmit the state legislative plan they'd already that the court had already rejected as illegally gerrymandered. So now the court's got to decide whether to find the commission in contempt or basically allow the Republicans to run the clock until May 28th. That's when a federal court <clears throat> sorry, has said it will order the February 24th map, uh, one that's already been declared illegal, to be implemented for a special election on August 2nd. And, I mean, they, they've shifted their explanations. Now they're saying they don't have enough time to do it the right way. I mean, they're the ones that have been pushing this back ever since September. And yeah, I just... What's more defiant? giving the court maps that it's already set are unconstitutional or just missing the deadline. I think just missing the deadline would have been the smarter move. You're really in the face of the justices now pushing back saying, here's our maps. And they're the very ones that were rejected. What's going on with the congressional? So there's a filing, actually a couple of filings, but they're basically pushing for the same thing that came on Thursday. This National Democratic Group is pressing the court to reject the congressional map, the one we just used for voting, and appoint its own map makers to develop a new one. Some other ones uh, that aren't in the exact same position just want them to reject it, period. And they argue this map is disproportionately slanted in favor of Republicans, which it is. It's 10 of 15 congressional districts would go to the Republicans, and two of the Democratic districts are like tightly competitive toss-ups. So this would be for the 2024 election that they're asking. Okay, well, we'll be watching the Supreme Court this week. If they don't do anything this week, then it's going to be pretty clear that they've decided to let this go because time would be of the essence if they're going to force something. So it's in Maureen O'Connor's hands. She's the Chief Justice who's the deciding vote. I know. I know you've said numerous times that you want to see them in orange jumpsuits. I just... It's it's hard to believe that it's gotten to this far back in September when we were talking about them, you know, defying this this will of the voters. Right. Because this was a this was passed by voters. This is what they wanted to see happen. And they just at every turn basically said, we don't care. We want to do it our own way. We want to keep these Republican districts. Yeah. But if the court doesn't do something, it's setting a precedent that the the court is much weaker than the other bodies of the government. I, it, I We'll see There's a lot to happen yet. It's today in Ohio. Why is the use of millions of stimulus dollars to install surveillance cameras in Northeast Ohio controversial? Layla, another installment of Stimulus Watch. Yeah, our new Stimulus Watch reporter, Lucas DiPrilli, brings us this really interesting weekend read. And in, in, in combing through the ARPA spending trends across the region, he noticed quite a few Northeast Ohio communities, including Cleveland and Akron, were investing poli in police surveillance technology. And, and while we might really gloss over that fact because cameras are so 
ubiquitous in our lives, Lucas explored the very real controversies that have emerged around the increased use of cameras, especially because as their technology improves, that allows for increased invasion of our privacy. And civil libertarians point to cases of racial and ethnic profiling as evidence that surveillance programs can easily be abused. For example, in 2018, New York Police Department settled a lawsuit after illegally spying on mosques and Muslim groups. And in 2020, the U.S. Marshal Service were accused of using drones to spy on Black Lives Matter protesters in Washington, D.C. Something similar happened in San Francisco. So that's really the backdrop here, leading to the city of Cleveland approving spending about four and a half million dollars upgrading its surveillance network in the fall. And during a recent public safety committee hearing, the question was raised about whether that could lead to the widespread use of facial recognition technology here in Cleveland. And in fact, police brass refused to answer questions about that at the committee table. And uh, they they wouldn't even answer whether they were already in use. And they told Councilman Mike Polinsic, uh, we'll talk to you later if you want to hear more about that. And so sketchy, so sketchy. So <clears throat> also, you know, the city of Akron is considering this two-pronged surveillance plan that would add police cameras on streets and busy areas and then provide personal doorbell cameras for people and businesses using ARPA money. But then there's this question of who would own the ring doorbell? Because if the city owns it, not only do they have the right to access that footage whenever they please, but they can actually tap into it in real time and view your live stream. And Mayor Dan Horgan was like, oh, I don't think we would do that. <laughs> so it's all kind of creepy when you think about it. And that's the argument that the civil rights attorneys were making. They they also point to the fact that you know, it's not quite clear how successful some of these tools are at preventing or solving crimes. You know, Ring Doorbell, for example, conducts its own studies and promises communities that its products can reduce theft or property crime by a certain percent. But independent studies and reporting that Lucas found across the country said that in cities where they've been piloting the Ring system, the, the effect on crime or the police department's solve rate is is kind of negligible when it comes to you know, the use, the impact that Ring has had. So what's really the return on giving up that little piece of privacy? Well, I, the, the, the only problem with that was that you know, there's always been the adage that if you have a dog, the, the burglar go to the next house that doesn't have a dog. And what you don't know is if the people who have cameras have had less crime and the crime has gone to people that, that don't have it. I was a little bit surprised at the at the council meeting where police said, yeah, we're not going to talk about that. And the council didn't enforce it. When I used to cover council, they would never have accepted that, but it must be a docile council. Now the police come in and say, yeah, we don't want to talk about that. And they say, okay, fine by us. Well, I, maybe, I do... maybe as since they were promised a secret briefing, that was fine. <laughs> yeah. Let's keep it. Oh, okay. Secret. You don't want to tell the public. Okay. You can tell us in private. You'll tell us because we're the representatives and that's we'll keep right. your secrets. You know, the, one the other th- Go ahead. Go ahead, Lisa. No, I was just going to say the the frightening, frightening little factlet in this story is that these new cameras that they're going to get are going to be 1080p, and they're going to have a 32x zoom. Yeah, why, that's why powerful. Do, right, very. Let powerful. me play devil's advocate, though. Clearly, America has embraced these cameras because many, many people have them, and they they shoot public areas. They shoot the street. How is that an invasion of privacy? 
No, but I think that what the civil libertarians is pointing out here is that communities of color are often more heavily surveilled than others. And sometimes these cameras and these systems are abused when it comes to things like these protests or or groups like, you know, the Muslim community or groups that are suspected of things that maybe they're not they shouldn't be suspected of doing. And suddenly they are they are uh, their privacy is being um, is being invaded for no good purpose do you have and, a right to privacy when you're on a public street well, yeah but when you have a powerful camera that that can look into your windows i mean that's yeah, but nobody's weird. nobody's saying that though there and there is no evidence that they've done that they've largely mm. put these on light poles in areas that are either high crime or heavily commercial and and i get what you're saying lately if they take all these cameras and they put them largely in black neighborhoods that's clearly a problem but when akron is saying hey we're going to make these available if you want one come get one with arpa dollars that's not profiling and i still ask the question if i'm out in a public place what is my right to privacy would you put one of these free ring cameras on your door and I have, let, let them got, tap into a free stream, no. live stream of your front yard? No, but yard? I have a camera <laughs> on my door. I didn't get it from the city, and so they don't get to tap into it. So no, I, Yeah, right. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess that's the thing is that people are, you know, they like freebies, and often they might not think, because these ring cameras are kind of expensive, aren't they? If you're going to go buy nah. one on your own. Not that bad now. I mean, they've really come down in price. You have to pay a subscription if you want to archive the video for any amount of time. I, I just, I'm having a hard time understanding if if you have a high crime area or if you have a commercial district where there have been carjackings and police say, we're going to put cameras up so we can detect the patterns and see what's going on. I just don't get the privacy argument. I mean, it, it's there to to try so that the criminals know I'm being watched. I'm not going to carjack people in this neighborhood. I'm going to go to the next neighborhood. But if you have cameras. a camera on a light pole across the street from your house, they can see you on your front porch and ostensibly look through your window as well. I mean, how do you feel about that? I don't think there's any evidence that's happening. I don't, there was nothing in Lucas's story, and I haven't. I do a lot of reading. I haven't ever seen that. If they started to use cameras to peer into your house, that's clearly a violation of privacy, and they would get into huge trouble because of it. Anyway, good stuff. It's why we did the story. It's controversial, and Lucas very expertly explores the controversy. You can read his story on cleveland.com it's today in ohio first the sheriff abruptly resigned now cuyahoga county's public safety chief is out the door what's going on with the administration of county executive armin budish and layla you're doing all your work in the first part of the podcast (laughs) i'm just gonna log off after this peace out (laughs) this so yeah this administration is beginning to hemorrhage it seems caitlin durbin reported late last week that robert corey the county's chief of public safety and, and justice services has resigned to become the safety director in parma Corey was picked to, to lead the department two years ago, overseeing the sheriff's department, the medical examiner, clerk of courts, and consumer affairs department. He also coordinates with the public safety department, which manages emergency dispatch services. But one of his chief roles was working with the sheriff on reducing the inmate population and making jail operations more efficient. Christopher Villand, of course, was that sheriff for the past year working for Corey, and he abruptly resigned a couple of weeks ago. We don't know yet exactly why Villain resigned, but sources seem to be pointing to his frustration with how little autonomy he had as sheriff under Budish and, and under this form of government. And if that's true, I, I don't really know exactly how Corey factors into that equation, 
because he was the link in the chain of command directly between Budish and Villand. Um, you know, it's also just quite likely that the writing is on the wall for many of Budish's administrators. Their time is coming to a close, so if a good opportunity presents itself, it would be foolish to let it slip past, right? I I do suspect we'll be, you know, we'll begin to see an exodus in the coming months. So either one of those things could be true. This could With- be part of the whole villain thing, or maybe this is just like a coincidence that Corey also was, you know, looking at other opportunities and saw it as a good time to leave. Yeah, with Corey, I think that's a possibility. With villain, he abruptly resigned. Oh, for sure. You know, yeah, something, something's something, up. Yeah, the the this is bad news for the jail for the next seven months because you're not going to get great people to come in to work for seven months and do this stuff. So whoever is appointed sheriff. I guess if they appoint a sheriff, that person has a little bit of longevity beyond the next county executive because of the charter change we made. So maybe you find somebody for that. But for the public safety chief, why would anybody take that job knowing they're going to be out of it in seven mm-hmm. months? Right. I guess I guess what Budish could do if he were magnanimous is figure Chris Ronane, the Democrat, is likely to win and talk to Chris about who he might want as his public safety chief, bring that person in early. Wouldn't that be interesting to see that happen? I don't think so. Yep, nope, nope. (laughs) (laughs) That would be public service. That would be public-minded. That would be looking toward the future. And Lee Weingart's listening to this right now, go, what about me? What about me? (laughs) Lee, you're a Republican. Snowball's chance. (laughs) It's Today in Ohio. With more people taking advantage of Cleveland's waterfront, more people are breaking the rules along the waterfront. What's the problem that lake lovers are trying to solve as the boating season approaches? And Laura, you're down there a lot. Have you seen it? I have not personally witnessed this, but the issue is too much wake. We're talking about big, fast power boats that are being unsafe and causing problems for other boats, big and small, small as a you know, a stand-up paddleboard is as big as the Good Time 3. And the issue came up at a meeting of the Cuyahoga River Safety Task Force, which I've been to many of their meetings, and they are some very passionate folks about the lake and the river, the Coast Guard, the rowing and sailing programs, the Lakers, the yacht clubs, they all have representatives there. And apparently, I did not know this, there's a 10-mile-per-hour speed limit in the harbor within the break wall that's five miles up across on the coast of Cleveland. And most boaters don't know it exists, um, but that's the problem if you go too fast you're just sending all of these waves and because of the harbor and because of the steel walls of the river it acts as a bathtub and it just basically sends all these waves back and forth and and jostles everyone and and you've got all of these little foundry dinghies learning how to sail and they can they can capsize if they get awake too big yeah the part of that that i don't find credible is that the power boaters aren't aware of the speed limit. Every power boater knows that when you're in certain areas, you slow down. You don't leave a wake. Mm-hmm. Anybody that's ever taken a boater safety course knows this. And and you can see what you're doing when you're out there. It's not like the, the, the wake is invisible. That's uh, very I'm true. Surprise it's happening. What was interesting is I heard from some people that don't get down that far, that they row upriver and they've never seen anything of this. But I heard from a bunch of people as a result of the story saying this is a big problem they this really needs to be addressed because more and more people are taking advantage up there it would be terrifying to be in a small craft and have that kind of wave action throwing you about 
Absolutely. And you're right. Exactly. The more people you have using the river, the busier it is, the more dangerous it is if you've got a big wake. And you shouldn't be going that fast. There, the entire river is a no-wake zone. And it, those zones are also within 300 feet of the marinas, boat launches, and harbor entrances, which that's you know, there's a lot of those. So yeah, you should be not be going fast where you're causing havoc to other boats. Is there patrolling that's done? It would seem like the yes. easiest way to fix this would just to start giving some big fines to the abusers. Yeah, the Coast Guard patrols, so does the um, State Department of Natural Resources. Rocky River has a police boat. It can go all the way up there. The problem is they're few and far between, and they don't have radar guns to just be like, oh, you're going too fast. Here's your ticket. I think it's a lot more involved in that. So what they believe in the, the River Safety Task Force is that they should be doing more boater education because the majority of boaters want to do this safely. They want everybody to be out there and have a good time and not have to worry and, and not be dangerous. I would imagine, too, you would need some undercover police boats because like people on the turnpike, <laughs> right. if you see the police, you're not going to go fast. They could use radar, though, if they put a stationary unit on the brake wall and then had the police pull them over. They're meeting about it. They're looking for solutions. The story's on Cleveland.com. It's Today in Ohio. We talked a while back about how preservationists wanted to stop MetroHealth from tearing down some buildings for the park planned as part of the hospital's transformation. The issue is ended. How did it work out, Lisa? Well, two of the three historic buildings that are sitting on this chunk of land along West 25th Street will be raised. That will be the 1950 St. Nicholas Belarusian Church and the 1888 Farnsworth House. The Cleveland Planning Commission met on Friday and voted to approve Metro Health's plans for a three-acre park in that area. That's at West 25th and South Point Drive. And this park is part of a larger 12-acre park that will be realized as the Metro Health renovations go on. But the, the uh, 1925 Emanuel Church will be saved. That's at the south end of this area at 3525 West 25th. It's serving as a construction office now for the Metro health renovations but they're going to you know consider public input on what they could use it for afterwards it could be a gallery a youth center a meeting space but uh, there is a public hearing tomorrow at six o'clock at bridge cleveland at 3381 fulton road and they're going to discuss plans for the entire 12 acre park and they want the public's input on that it does seem, check me if I'm wrong, that the benefit to that neighborhood of having a decent park would outweigh saving a couple of buildings for which no one has a use, right? That's that's the way I feel, and I'm, I'm very pro-preservation, but I think in this point, the transformation of that property is much more important than trying to retrofit, you know, old buildings. Uh, Barb Garden, who's with the Near West Side Design Review Commission, has been pushing to save these buildings, and he says it's a shame, but he understands the overall plan. So, I mean, it's he laments it, but it's like, well, you know, this is progress, and it's, and it's going to be good progress. Yeah, Metro Health went out of its way with the design of this to really make it a community community oriented site. And so it it it's going to be fairly spectacular and there was quite a bit of public comment leading into it. So it's nice they made a compromise they'll save the one building, but overall the park will benefit the community. It's today in Ohio. We're not going to get to a couple of subjects today. We talked long. We'll try and get to them tomorrow. So thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Layla. Thank you, Laura. Thanks to everybody who listens to this podcast.